Okay, serenity now. Anybody want to yell it out? Serenity now. That was Kramer. You know, he was picking up on George's dad's uh, tip. You know, when he got overwhelmed, when he needed peace, he would just yell out, serenity now. Kramer is one of my favorite characters on Seinfeld. If you're under 35, you may not have ever seen that show, but it's, it's a classic. And uh, Kramer is one of the, the best characters of all sitcoms of all times. He is hilarious. Uh, but screaming serenity now, I don't think exactly was what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are the peacemakers. Okay, blessed are those who are seeking serenity. And uh, we've been in a series on the Beatitudes, and we've made it to week number seven of eight weeks. Of course, the Beatitudes are eight statements that Jesus gave us that if you'll live by these, you'll have a blessed and fulfilled life. And if you're like me, sometimes you wonder, man, am I doing this life right? Am I, am I living this Christian life the way God wants me to? Because, you know, we've, uh, many of us have read the scripture that one day when we die, when we stand before the Lord, what we don't want Jesus to say is, depart from me, I never knew you. I mean, that's kind of a trembling thought. You know, so I believe in God. I know he died on the cross for my sin. I just want to make sure I'm living for him. So I believe that the Beatitudes are one of those grids that you can filter your life through, one of those grids that you can evaluate. How am I doing on this Christian journey? How am I doing all the way back to week one with blessed are the poor in spirit, recognizing that we have complete dependence on the Lord. Without him, I'm spiritually bankrupt. You know, we need, to, we need to think about the other Beatitudes, like, blessed are the meek. Am I living a meek and humble life? Am I hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Am I a person of mercy? Remember, he said, blessed are the merciful, we talked about a few weeks ago. And then last week, he said, blessed are the pure in heart. So as you go through life, if you're wondering, man, am I doing this thing right? I would just encourage you, go back to these statements that Jesus gave us. How am I doing in these areas of our life? Because I don't want to be surprised someday when he says, depart from me. I don't know who you are. So today, we have come to number seven of eight. Blessed are the peacemakers. Serenity now, if you will. And so we're going to be talking about how do we make peace. And so a recent study I found online from the Institute for Economics and Peace studied 163 nations of the world, and they ranked these nations in order of level of peace. Okay, what are, the, what are the most peaceful nations in the world? And uh, anybody want to take a guess at what the number one nation was? Whoa, somebody said, uh, someone was here watching online or here for a service. Ding, 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 Iceland. Iceland, for the 10th consecutive year, was ranked as the number one peaceful nation in all of the world. Study tells us that Iceland has no standing army, navy, or air force. Uh, the whole country has a population of about uh, 365,000 people. Iceland enjoys record low crime and ranks among the best in nations in terms of jobs and earnings and an overall sense of well-being. In fact, 97% of Icelandians, Icelanders, People from Iceland, 97% of them uh, describe themselves as middle and working class. 
so there's really no tension in between classes, economic classes of people. So there's a kind of a non-existent war between uh, classes there. By the way, if you're curious, the United States ranked number 121 on that ranking. But no surprise there, is it? I don't think anybody's looking to the United States as a shining example of what peace is all about right now. But for most countries, for most communities, for most individuals, peace today seems more elusive than ever. In fact, it seems like we are in constant uh, protection mode or defense mode. Everyone is on edge. Everyone is uneasy. And of course, our current climate is a, client, uh, is a climate of divisiveness and division on so many different issues, so many different levels, that it seems that peace more than ever is very sparse and scarce. Civil discourse is a thing of the past, and now it seems as if people, they're looking for a fight. Feels like the people are looking for a conflict. And in the rarity where peace and harmony does exist, you can be sure that the enemy, Satan himself, is going to try to insert himself and bust up the peace and the harmony. Where, where there is peace and harmony, he can't see his will pervade the culture. And so he likes to stir up strife. He likes to stir up tension and unrest and uneasiness because he knows that if he can get people at odds with one another, in conflict with one another, then God can kind of step to the side and he can insert his will on humankind. So we've come to the seventh beatitude. We find it. Do you have your Bibles, by the way? Okay. Two people brought your Bibles. Can I encourage just a few more of you next week, at least to make me happy? Bring your Bible. If not, you can uh, look it up on your smartphone. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 once again. And we have landed in verse 9, where Jesus says in his seventh beatitude, Blessed are the peacemakers. Can you say peacemaker with me? Peacemakers. For they will be called children of God. If you want to experience a blessed, a fulfilled, a happy life, Jesus said you should be a peacemaker. So the first thing I notice in this scripture is that Jesus said you are blessed if you are a peacemaker. Jesus did not say blessed are the peacekeepers, did he? He said, blessed are the peacemakers. There is a kind of a difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping. Now, it's true, as Christians, we should all seek to keep the peace. Absolutely, we should live to, to keep peace. But there is a little bit of a difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. Okay, peacemaking uh, carries with it this idea of Christians stepping into an environment where there is conflict and creating peace where there is conflict. We're making peace in the midst of conflict. Peacekeeping, I mean, it's a little easier, right? There's already an absence of conflict, so I'm just trying to keep everybody happy. And I do understand that that's not as easy as it used to be either. But peacemaking goes a lot further than peacekeeping. When you're in conflict with someone, let's say who has wounded you, when you're in conflict with someone who has hurt you, who has done harm to you, it can be rather challenging to make peace with that person. In fact, most of us, 
we would choose to just carry the extra weight, carry the extra weight of resentment or carry that heavy burden of uh, perhaps it even turns into bitterness. I'd, I'd rather just carry and kind of keep my distance instead of taking the proactive step to make peace. Well, Jesus both told us and showed us about making peace. Check this out in Colossians chapter 1. And through him, the him here is talking about Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace. Again, Jesus, talking about Jesus. Jesus is making peace. How is he making peace? How did he do that? Through his blood shed on the cross. Wow. So you may not have realized it, but you and I, we were at war with God. Now, you may not have audibly gotten God's face and said, I'm declaring war on you, God. You may not have done that, but we were at odds. We were at, we were at war with God by living in sin, by living in contradiction to God's word. And Jesus said, I'll volunteer to go make peace. I'll be the remedy. In fact, I will lay down my life. I will pay the ultimate sacrifice, if you will, on this Memorial Day weekend. I'll give my life. I will have my body nailed to a tree, nailed to a cross, and I will shed my blood all because I want to make peace. Jesus showed us and made peace between us and God. We were an unholy, ungodly humanity, and we were at odds with this holy, awesome, reverent God, reverence God that, we just, that we just sung about, by the way. And Jesus came, and he was the remedy. He made peace when we were at conflict and at war with God. Jesus is a peacemaker. So certainly he's able to challenge us to be peacemaking because he showed us how to do it. He is a peacemaker, and he's called you and me to do the same. Let's go back to the text, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, and let's look at the result of being a peacemaker. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Peacemakers will be called children of God. Now, notice, this is Jesus talking to his followers. Jesus did not say, blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called followers of God, uh, because they will be called uh, disciples of God. No, he said, they will be called children of God because children look like their father. Their, their DNA, God's DNA gets in his children, and so we reflect the attributes and characteristics of God, and one of the things that our Heavenly Father does is he makes peace. So if you're a peacemaker, you are a children, a child, a son, a daughter of God. Now, I know that we have a lot of parents here in the room. Some of you have adopted kids, and we're going to talk about foster care again in, a, in a, about a week or so, uh, as most of you have natural kids as well. And when I think about uh, my kids and what makes me proud of them and happy uh, for them and happy in them as a father, it isn't necessarily my eyes or my nose or my cheeks that look similar or their physical mannerisms, like the way they talk with their hands 
or the way they uh, make facial expressions or the way they walk. This is how, this is not how I walk. I'm not sure why I'm doing that. But it's not necessarily the, the physical mannerisms. You know, um, uh, our kids, all four of our kids have my blue eyes and some of them have my hair. Uh, fortunately, they all have mama's good looks. But, but that's not exactly what makes me most proud of them. When I see those little idiosyncrasies of their dad, you know, that's cool and all. But what really brings me joy and fulfillment and pride is when I see my children reflecting my integrity, my characteristics lived out in their daily lives. So example, for example, when I see them handling relationships and people with care, like they see their mom caring for people. It just brings pride to my soul, my spirit, when I see them caring for people like their mom. Or like when, when there's conflict, we're talking about peace, when I see them respond with grace and mercy and keeping the peace. Man, nothing brings me more pleasure than seeing my kids acting like their father, reflecting our values, reflecting the characteristics that we have. That makes me most happy when I see my attributes being exhibited through my kids. It's the same with God. He is our heavenly father, and as his kids, we are to exhibit his characteristics, his attributes. We carry with us the DNA of our heavenly father. So God is most pleased when he sees him working through and flowing through his children. And one of the things that he is, is a peacemaker. So it brings the heavenly father much pleasure when, it sees, when he sees his kids making peace with other people. So what is all involved in this peacemaking that you speak of? What is this all about? Does it mean that we just shout serenity now and boom, there it is? Well, we can tell that didn't exactly work for Kramer, did it? So what all is involved in making peace? Well, I want to give you two actions that peacemakers can do that will help us look like our Heavenly Father. So hopefully you're taking notes today. If you don't have a blue notebook, a blue journal, we have those available. If you're new today, uh, we've got those in the Welcome Center. And so uh, I want to give you two actions. Number one, this is how we can accomplish this and look like our Heavenly Father. Peacemakers pursue restoration. Can you write that down for us? Peacemakers pursue restoration. I wonder if uh, any of you happen to know, you can say it out loud, if you know what the Hebrew word, the Hebrew word for peace, do you know what that word is? Shalom. Yes, in fact, even to this day, I think they use that in some of their greetings. Shalom, I pray upon you peace. That word in the Hebrew is shalom. And shalom isn't just an absence of war. It isn't just an absence of conflict. It also carries with it in its name uh, a presence of completeness, of wholeness, of being fully restored back to its original state of peacefulness. That's what is meant here by this word peace. Shalom. Now, I know that everybody in the room here, everybody under the sound of my voice online, we have all been in conflict with people. In fact, maybe you're in conflict with someone right now. We've had arguments. We've had disagreements. We've been at odds. Someone has offended you. They've hurt you. They've wounded you. You may have had your name drugged through the mud. Whatever it might be, 
whatever the cause for the offense or the conflict, perhaps you have already taken the step of forgiving them. In your heart, you have forgiven them. But because of the hurt, because of the wound, there's still an absence of shalom. You haven't been restored back to that place of peacefulness and completion. The the relationship is not at peace. Yeah, you've forgiven them, but shalom is absent from the relationship. Let me say it like this. Forgiveness releases, but peace restores. Okay, so you may have forgiven them, and that's good. Forgiveness releases you from being held bondage, held captive to whatever it is that offense was that was done to you. That's great. You you need to. We are called to be people who are forgiven. But that's just the first step. Okay? Forgiveness releases. That's good. Peace goes a step further. Peace restores. Peace pursues restoration. Peace pursues reconciliation. So Jesus calls his followers to more than just forgiveness. He does, and I get it. That's hard. In fact, later on, he'd tell Peter, how many times do I have to do that, Jesus? 70 times 7, you got to forgive him. He's basically saying, hey, you just got to keep pouring on the forgiveness. But Jesus calls his followers to even a step above and beyond forgiveness to a place of restoration to a place of peace, a place of shalom. A few years ago, Kelly and I and some of our dear friends, a couple friends, um, something was happening in our relationship. I can't even put my finger on it to this day. I'm not even sure what the genesis of the issue was. But there was just kind of this growing awkwardness in our relationship. I don't know if there was some tension. I'm sure, you know, the enemy wanted to wedge something in between us, you know, as he likes to do. But we were kind of hearing from other sources that things were being taken out of context and we were being labeled as this and they're that and and things just weren't quite adding up. I'm like, man, what happened to this wonderful relationship that we used to have and fellowship with? And so finally the awkwardness and weirdness got to be so much so that uh, I reached out to the husband and said, hey, can the four of us get together? Can we just kind of hash things out and see what's going on? And to their credit, the couple, they came, they met us. We met in a neutral uh, position. And of course it came out that it was all Kelly's fault, you know. (laughs) That's not true. I made that part up. That is not true. But uh, anyways, uh, we, we, we came with a heart to restore the relationship. Of course, we said, I'm sorry. We, we forgive one another. And I can tell you that that story ended very happily. It was a happy ending to that story. And in fact, to this day, they are some of our very, very best friends. But it took both parties taking the extra step of pursuing peace. Pursuing shalom, pursuing restoration to kind of get that relationship back into its original place of peace and harmony. Forgiveness is very important, but that's just the beginning. The peacemakers take an active role in pursuing restoration. Look at what Paul had to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse 11, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. 
strive for full restoration. He didn't say, sweep it under the rug, wish it away. No, there, there, there's some Im- implied action here, isn't there? Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Check this one out. Live in peace. Shalom. And the God of love and peace, I love that. God doesn't just do love and do peace. God is love and is peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Of course, he's our heavenly father and we're his kids. So we have his DNA. So we too should be people of love and peace. But Paul is saying there has to be some proactiveness here. I'm not sure if proactiveness is a word, English teachers, but proactiveness of pursuing full restoration. That's what Paul said. Live in peace. Don't let things fester. Don't let things build and get to that awkward, uncomfortable phase. Don't let the enemy come and drive a wedge between you and that other person. No. Pursue full restoration. Again, I know this is tough stuff. This is pretty ambitious. This is uh, uh, not Christianity 101, if you will, is it, right? This is kind of, we're going to another level here of spiritual maturity. But it's God's desire for us to go and make peace with people. Why do we do this again? Because we are children of God. We are sons and daughters. We're his kids, and as such, we are supposed to look like our daddy. And also because Jesus pursued peace for us. Jesus pursued peace for us. We've already mentioned how Jesus got into the middle of our conflict and made peace between us and our Heavenly Father. He pursued reconciliation for us. Look how Paul put it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself. How did he do it? Once again, through Christ. God reconciled sinful man and a holy God through Christ, and then he goes on, I like this, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Well, isn't that interesting? Did you realize that you are a minister of reconciliation? Now, I know all of us have been given gifts and strengths uh, from the Spirit of God. Uh, some of you have a natural gift of evangelism or, or hospitality, But Paul says, by the way, you've also been given the ministry of reconciliation. So welcome to the ministry, everybody. (laughs) You are all ministers of reconciliation. And how many recognize that in 2021, we need a lot of ministers of reconciliation in our world today? We really do. Now, this word pursue, we are to pursue reconciliation. It carries with it. It implies action and initiative, even if you were not the offender. You don't get a pass if you were not the offender. And if I'm completely candid here, when I'm in conflict with someone, I'd rather just keep my distance. I'll just wait over here until you are ready to come and repent. But Jesus calls us to more, doesn't he? 
In fact, in this same Sermon on the Mount, just a few sentences down, Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 23, Jesus says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. So stop what you're doing. Leave it there. First, go and be reconciled to them. Come on, Jesus. Are you sure? Be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Okay, of course, he's talking to first century Jews here, but if we could say it in today's uh, church world, Jesus would basically be saying, hey, before you come and sit your Bible down and start clapping and singing along uh, with the worship team and lifting your hands and, and uh, lifting your voice in praise to the Lord, before you do that, before you get into uh, the church life at 11 o'clock, you got to first go to that person, that brother, that sister that offended you, that hurt you, and reconcile. Stop what you're doing. Do that first. Then go ahead and sing along with Pastor Sean and the team. Got to reconcile first is what Jesus said. If you'll do that, Jesus said, you'll be blessed. So contrary to what uh, you might think, Kelly and I haven't always gotten along with each other 100% of the time, okay? It's taken her almost 20 years to get me to this point. It's, it's, it's a training, training. In fact, my mom, she kind of passed me off. I've done all I can with him. It's your turn, Kelly. Okay, but uh, you know, uh, especially early on in our marriage, we would have times of conflict. You don't have to raise your hands, husbands and wives. I know you've been there, done that. But we've had times of conflict where someone has offended the other party, probably me doing the offending, by the way, I'm sure. At least that's what she told me. But we've all had those moments where, uh, where, we've been, where we have offended. And so uh, early on, especially early on in our marriage, we would be at conflict with one another. And my strategy was to give the cold shoulder. My strategy was to be standoffish. I'm just going to wait her out until she comes to her senses, realize the damage that she caused and how this squabble is all her fault. I'm going to wait here. And when she comes to me and repents, then I'll forgive her. By the way, that is not a good strategy, young marrieds. <laughs> well, here's the thing. She had a similar strategy too, right? Cold shoulder, standoffish. I'm going to wait him out. I'm going to wait. Come on, Ferguson. You need to get your act together, man. But as we've, as we've gone on in our marriage and as, we become, as we've become more spiritually aware and spiritually mature, now we kind of both are uh, actively pursuing peace together. So even if she offended me, if there's conflict that's going on in our relationship, it's on me to pursue reconciliation. Even if she caused it, it's on me. Even if I caused it, it's, it's on her to pursue reconciliation with me. And so as we've gotten older and more spiritually mature, we've kind of shifted our strategy for making peace in our home. So 
Can you imagine if it may not be a, a, a spouse situation? It could be uh, another family member, someone at work, a neighbor, whatever it might be. But can you imagine if both parties had the attitude of pursuing reconciliation? Conflict wouldn't stand a chance. There'd be no room for conflict to survive. Unrest and chaos and drama would melt away because both parties are pursuing peace. How awesome would that be? I love that. Now, you might be thinking, well, I've tried that, Pastor Benny. I've tried pursuing reconciliation, uh, but why bother? I've come to the point of why bother when I know that person wants nothing to do with me maybe even hates my guts and certainly doesn't want to live at peace with me. How do we pursue peace when it's clear that the other party is not interested in making peace? This other party, this other person has no interest. They're very difficult. They're very impossible to deal with. While counseling a couple uh, several years ago, probably 10 or 12 years ago, Kelly and I, we happened upon this couple that were in severe conflict. And so uh, uh, finally we had a come to Jesus meeting, if you will, in our home where we set both the husband and wife down in our home and we just had to get to the bottom of the issue. And in this instance, the husband was like all good. And the wife, I mean, she was more than a rascal. I mean, she was a, she was a scoundrel. I mean, I mean, she, she was uh, not pursuing restoration. She was pursuing drama and chaos. You don't have to raise your hand if you live with someone like that. But she thrived in chaos. And in fact, she would say a lie to cover up her previous lie, which covered up her previous lie. That's another sermon in and of itself, by the way. Don't, don't go down that road of, of deception and lies to cover up your dishonesty, your disobedience, your sin, whatever it might be. That is a slippery slope. Just come out with it, okay? We caught her in lie after lie after lie, but she always had another lie to cover it up. Excuse after excuse. It was clear during that session that this was destined to go nowhere. Reconciliation does not seem to be a possibility here. Even though she was the major offender here, the husband still was, he was like, I'll do whatever it takes. I just want peace restored. But it was clear in this instance that reconciliation was just not going to be an option. There are people like that in your life that absolutely cannot stand you. They enjoy the drama. They enjoy holding things against you. And there's no hope of reconciliation. Okay, I understand that. There are those moments. So what do we do then? How can we possibly be a peacemaker? Well, this is the second action that I want to give you as you're taking notes. Number two is peacemakers give undeserved grace. Peacemakers give unmerited, undeserved grace to the other party, to the other person. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about mercy. Okay, blessed are the merciful. Mercy and grace are a little bit different, aren't they? We talked about how mercy removes the penalty of sin. You did something wrong that deserved penalty or punishment, but mercy stepped in and removed 
the penalty that you deserved. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting something that you did not deserve. Do you understand the difference there? You know, when I think of, of grace and mercy, I think of the, the Lord, the mercy and grace that God has given to us. Mercy is God removing the punishment that we deserved because of our sin. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. You've removed the punishment of death. But grace went a step further. Then, on top of mercy, God gave us grace, not only removing the punishment, but giving us eternal life. That's pretty awesome, somebody. Now, if my child disobeys or they do something that deserves discipline or punishment, mercy is me removing that punishment from them. You need to be grounded from whatever it is, from your Atari. We don't have Ataris anymore. I'm just kidding. You need to be grounded, whatever it is. But I'm going to remove, because of mercy, I'm going to remove that penalty from you, child. Well, grace goes a step beyond. Not only am I going to not ground you, I'm going to give you an ice cream. Come on, isn't that cool? They didn't deserve that. That is completely undeserved and unmerited bonus. I just love that about our Heavenly Father. He gave us mercy, but then he went a step further. He gave us undeserved grace. Come on, anybody else thankful for a God who gave us mercy, then went above and beyond and gave grace? Come on, that's a good time for a praise break. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Giving me grace when I didn't even earn it. I didn't deserve it. But you gave me grace anyways. A peacemaker is so determined to live at peace with someone that they will give unmerited undeserved grace. Later in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives us some examples of what this looks like. Matthew chapter 5, skip down to verse 40. I'm telling you, chapter 5 is just chocked full with good stuff. Jesus says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Jesus says, go above and beyond. Now, in this culture, uh, Roman soldiers were occupying the territory. So often, a Roman soldier would grab a, a Jewish person and tell them, hey, I want you to walk with me, uh, carry some of my armor, carry some of my gear. I want you to walk with me a mile. Jesus said, even if that Roman soldier, or if you will, that person who offended you, or if that person who did you wrong, if that person asks you to walk a mile with them, walk a mile and then some. Go above and beyond. If they ask for your shirt, just go ahead and give them your coat too while you're at it. If someone sues you, harms you, hurts you, offends you, does you wrong, Jesus says, go above and beyond. Your response shouldn't be tit for tat. Your response should be undeserved grace. <laughs> My mom used to say, kill them with kindness. Kill them with grace. Kill them with kindness. I know this can be tough. I'm still a work in proce progress. I know you are too. But when we respond like this, 
when we respond by creating and making peace and giving undeserved grace, we are showing them a picture of what Jesus has done for us. Because Jesus has given me undeserved grace, I'm going to give you undeserved grace. I'm going to go above and beyond. I'm going to go a step beyond forgiveness, a step beyond mercy, and give you unmerited bonus. I'm going to give you grace. Now look, after that has happened, I don't have a number three, by the way. That's it. Let's see. Let's say after that you have given and given. Man, I have given grace upon grace, second chance after third chance. But they just, they can't stand me to this day. They want nothing to do with me. You've done all you can do. Okay, be released of that. But here's what you can continue to do. You can continue to pray for them. When you've done all you can do, when you've pursued reconciliation, when you've gone beyond that and you've given them undeserved grace, just keep praying for them. And I don't mean pray a swarm of gnats attacks them. That's not the kind of prayer we're talking about. Pray that God would continue to bless them, would work on their heart, that they would grow in their love and their faithfulness to the Lord. If the, if the other party wants nothing to do with you, wants nothing to do with making peace, I understand that's going to happen. I can still pray for them. I can still pray for them. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who restore shalom, who restore peace, who pursue reconciliation, for they will be called the children of God. If we are to look like our heavenly father, we are to be peacemakers. And all the peacemakers in the house said a big amen. 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 Hey, let's take a moment and respond right there in your seat. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I want to address a couple of groups of people. The first group I want to address is those that are needing peace with God. You need to make peace with God. Sometimes on people's deathbed, they'll ask the question, have you made your peace with God? Well, here's a moment for you to do that right here and right now. Maybe up until today, you didn't realize until this message was spoken that you were in conflict with God. Your sinfulness, your unrighteousness put you in a position where you are at odds, where you are at war, in conflict with God. Today, that conflict can be resolved. Today, you can experience peace with God. All you have to do is accept the free gift of salvation. We just read a couple of scriptures how Jesus voluntarily came and he said, I'll be the remedy. I'll be the cure. And so all you have to do is acknowledge that Jesus is the way. He's the one truth. He's the way to eternal life. And just say something in your heart like this. Just say, Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. I have been living in conflict with a most holy God. And I'm sorry. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Thank you for giving your life on the cross, shedding your blood for my sins. 
for my redemption, for my salvation. And I repent today of my sin. And from this day forward, I will live for you. I will follow you the rest of my days. If you said a prayer like that in your heart, you are now at peace with God. You've accepted the remedy for your conflict. And so now your next step is to keep following Jesus. Get into your word. Get into the Bible. uh, Find a good life group here at the church. There'll be some prayer team members up front here in just a moment that you can tell them about your decision to follow Jesus. But you have now been made whole. Shalom. Peace has now been made between you and God. What once was at conflict is now at rest. It's been put back into its state of peacefulness. Congratulations, you're a son or daughter of God. Now, for the rest of you, your heads are bowed, your eyes are still closed. I want to give you a chance to respond. You've made your peace with God. You've invited him to be the Lord of your life. You're loving Jesus. You're serving him. But you're recognizing that there is some conflict in your life with some other people. Maybe it's been online. Maybe it's been in person. Maybe it's a spouse, a former spouse. Maybe it's a a son, a daughter, a parent, someone that you're estranged from. Maybe it's a boss, an employee, someone at work. Maybe a neighbor. But there's someone that you're at odds with. The first step is you need to forgive them. Can you take a moment and just ask the Lord to forgive you for not forgiving them and just release that person to the Lord? That's what forgiveness does. It releases you from being held bondage to what that person did to you. So take a moment and do that. Forgive them in your heart. Now I want you to pray about how God would have you take the next step. How can you this week pursue reconciliation? God, would you show us that person? Maybe we were the offender. Maybe we were the offendee. Whatever it might be, Lord, I pray that you would show us who that person is. We don't want to be people who live in drama and in chaos and in unrest. We want to be people that take on the character, the nature, the DNA of our Heavenly Father. We want to get in the middle of conflict and make peace. Help us, Lord, to be peacemakers this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, all over the room, can we stand today? As you're standing, I'm going to invite the prayer team members down to pray for you. If you need prayer for whatever, maybe it's you're at odds with someone, you just need prayer for peace in your life. Maybe there's a big decision. Maybe you're sick in your body. Maybe you just made a decision to follow Jesus. Whatever it might be, these men and women are here to pray with you. So we're going to sing a worship song. And as we do, I'm just going to invite you to either worship there in your seat or come down and let these men and women pray for you. But let's not leave this with uh, this moment without responding to the Lord. Can we take a moment and do that? Yeah, your name is alive that the shadows tend to 